If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast all in one place. They have tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app on Apple or Android or go to anchor.fm to get started. That's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M. Now back to the good part. Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast on a Drinks Giving Wednesday. I am Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegel. How you doing tonight, buddy? Uh, different venue for me. <laughs> Definitely different venue. Brian has traveled east to record tonight's episode. How's the trip down? Not bad, man. Not bad. It was a little bit of a, a little bit of a little bit traffic heavy on the way way in. Uh, we did have a couple big accidents actually that we got went past uh, a couple folks in the trees in the ditch on the side of uh, 64. So a oh, little, little crazy. Uh, thankfully, we weren't involved in any of that. So good to hear. We got here in a not record time, but you know we we did two and a half hours, which That's for a Thanksgiving weekend, not not too shabby. So no issues with the tunnels. Tunnels weren't bad. It was everything kind of before that, yeah. Very nice, man. Very nice. Uh, by the way, I joke about Thanksgiving. If everybody hasn't listened to the radio or the Twitter or the Facebook, today is the single largest drinking day in America. Yep. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going with the normal here. I'm not going anything high level, although some people, you know, do take it overboard on the on Thanksgiving Eve. I've I've had many of those nights, man. Um, I remember some of the some of the wildest drinking nights I ever had were coming back from from college to to home for Thanksgiving yep. and uh, heading over to the world of sports and throwing down for a while, and then heading over to somebody else's house after that and throwing down some more. Well, that and remember before that became thing. Remember Paradise Club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can, you can, you can walk. <laughs> True. Um, that was always fun, but you get to see everyone. We're older now, obviously. You know, we're, we're prepping. Brian's down at in laws. I'm here at the house. We'll all be cooking tomorrow, not suffering from hangovers. But um, you know, Brian, it's been a uh, it's been a fun week. It's been a short week. Happy Friday. Yeah, we Happy made it. Night. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, let, let's jump. We got a lot of stuff to go through. Obviously, it's hate week, the hate week, Commonwealth Clash, sponsored by Smithfield. If you didn't buy your bacon or your ham or your sausage, go get some before Saturday. 
Yeah. Um, let's jump, Brian. Let's go to the JC Presser. We um, got to hear clips of it, got to see some other things tweeted. And let's talk about essentially he basically said they have made, as of Monday, no decision on the starter at quarterback for the Hokies. Um, yeah. Is that shock you that it took one game? I don't know if it shocks me, but it doesn't surprise me that they're keeping their options open. And this could be more of a we're going to see some of what we saw in the first half last week with Braxton out there some, Connor out there some. And, you know, it might just be something where Connor gets the the first series reps over, over Braxton and vice versa. Um, and then we just kind of see them, you know, go with what's working, um, switch it up. Could be that. Braxton is still still banged up. They're making a decision whether they want to put him out there. And it could just be they liked enough of what they saw from Connor where they feel like that's that gives them the better chance to win. I don't necessarily know if I agree with that sentiment. Um, but that's kind of where we are. I mean, Braxton hasn't played well enough where he's forcing that issue. But I feel like Braxton overall gives us – more elements of the offense to play with, even if Connor does a couple things better than Braxton does. Yeah, um, definitely does a couple things better. You mentioned on Sunday, he he pushes the ball downfield better. He's obviously yeah. got a bigger arm than Braxton, obviously some accuracy issues there. Um, but the other pieces, it, it's the banged up piece. I mean, the only upside is UVA's future defense, which we'll talk about later, is now going to have to take into account two potential quarterbacks starting, not one. Yep. Um, and, and again, Connor averaged what six yards a carry last week. He we went what twenty for one thirty. Yeah. He, he, you know, now the bigger issue I have with him, and depending on what the offensive line looks like, he like there's where Braxton is to me when you get him back there and he feels the pressure, he scrambles and goes. Connor's almost like tap 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 the ball like. Like, no, nah, dude, if it starts breaking down, you've got the legs, look for a hole and just run. Yeah. That's the biggest thing I see. And I think that's that's just coming with, like, comfort in the pocket, understanding where the reads are, understanding where, um, where the timing is. I think that's just something where Connor just doesn't have that yet. Um, I think Braxton sometimes comes out of that too quick. Yes. But 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 Connor's not Connor doesn't have a feel of when to come out of it yet. Um, so I, th- I think that's probably the biggest thing that he's dealing with. And overall, I think that's going to be the bigger issue with if you roll out there with Connor is that you don't have the relationship with the receivers, and you don't have um, that timing in the backfield and things like that that Braxton you know has kind of worked all season, um, kind of get, getting comfortable with. Yeah, and that's the biggest difference is just reps to me. and But also the thing you always talk about, he's more comfortable running. Well, he's had apparently the guy in his ear all year. One read, go. Yeah. Where, you know, it, it's second nature to him right now. Um, so, <clears throat> as you all just saw me pick up my remote and click, I am waiting the Hokies Hoop game versus Memphis to start here. And obviously the first game ran over. Um Something else JC mentioned, and I wonder if it'll do this. You talk about going back and forth. He mentioned they rode the hot hand. Um, 
I mean, Connor played okay. I wouldn't call it hot. It's not like he went out there and took us on three consecutive scoring drives, but maybe that's what we see in the first quarter. They both get a couple series, and whoever is really moving the ball, that's who we stick with. Yeah, and I mean, there were some plays where Connor probably didn't get us the first down that Braxton would have gotten us, but there were a couple plays where, <laughs> you know, between his legs and his arm, he probably got his first downs that, that Braxton probably wouldn't have wouldn't have thrown or wouldn't have got to. Um, I think in particular on that fourth and six, uh, the yeah. pass out there to uh, to Lofton. Uh, I don't know if that's a a completion, or at least, at least, I don't know if it, I don't know if it's even thrown if it's Braxton. Yeah. Um, so that, that's that's kind of the the difference you get there. Um, sometimes not knowing things, you, you take a little bit more calculated risk with the football. Um, you don't you don't have that comfort. So I don't know if this is a scared money don't make money type uh, type game or what. But well, in this game in general, scared money don't make money. But I tell you what could make is three guys who were mentioned in the pressure being day to gay. Trey Turner, Lenica Smith, Brock Hoffman. Let me ask you, Brian, of these three guys, who absolutely has to play Saturday to give us the best chance to win? Um, it's got to be Trey, but it's it's very close with him and Lasita Smith. Um, I, th- I think it's pretty close there. I think we're doing okay with without having Brock in there. Um, Johnny stepped up pretty well. And while he doesn't necessarily give us the the raw upside that Brock can give us on a certain play, he does do a better job of consistency. Very and true. I think that's I think that's the the, the the trade-off there is that I think at this point in the, in the season you'll take the consistency over you know the high inability um, just because you know you already miss him potentially other pieces. So yeah, I think uh, either Smith or or Trey uh, being out hurts us more. Uh, hopefully we get Trey back. Love to see him be able to finish out his career here with the Hokies. Uh, made the announcement this week that he's um, heading to the NFL. Going to give that a go. So congrats to him and hope he does well. Looking forward to seeing what uh, what he can do with offseason and the combine and all that stuff. So, Yep. Um. Now, if if you recall during the presser, JC kind of mentioned Trey could have been good to go in the second half, but he was held out for precautionary. Lasitas did not start at all. Um, so hopefully that holdout was to get him back for this week. And again, we ran the ball fine. Pass pro was not as good, but you know, that's I think we we know we're more of a running team, so I think maybe that's why they held him out. Um, something that was very interesting. I found in that interview was in after kind of putting the pieces together, maybe it makes sense of why we didn't have a good pass rush with the defensive line. JC discussed how he really missed being able to make adjustments with his defensive line group. If you recall during his opening presser, he mentioned he worked with the ends, Bill worked with the two tackles. I'm assuming during the game, it's the same way. I got the DN group. I got the D tackles. We come together. Here's the adjustment we're making. You coach your guys. How big is that? Because it's probably a GA or Bill trying to do everybody. How difficult is that for someone like Bill? Like this year, it's like I focus just on the G tackles. How difficult is that now? Now it's your whole group. 
Um, it's not super difficult, but it, it definitely is an extra element that you've got to think about because when you're on the sideline, you're having to kind of think about the, the entire line and then how you're going to communicate that. And then you're going to communicate different things to the different, uh, different position groups there because it's going to be a different, uh, mode of, of adjustment in the, in the game as you go along. So it definitely is something added there, but you are kind of, evaluating as you're going along anyway. You just have a little bit more to evaluate and then a little bit more to, to discuss with the team. Yep. So uh, that's why I asked you about it. You know, hopefully a second week, it's better to get the adjustments quicker. Um, let's also talk about something else. Would Justin Fuente had ever discussed how J.C. Price talked about that onside kick? No. <laughs> No, definitely. I don't. I, I don't think that that would have been a move that Fuente would have went with to begin with, and then roll the dice. Said he asked his defense to bail him out if it didn't work. He asked it, but then he said it. He said it in a press conference. Yeah, which is which is just so appealing, right? It's refreshing. It is. It's like. Oh my gosh, like that's exactly probably what any coach would have said. How many coaches would walk in there on Monday and say, Yeah, I told the defense what we were going to do. And I told them if I screwed it up, y'all got to help us. Bail me out. Um, but it was. It helps that he works on the defensive side of the ball to begin with. He's got that type of relationship with them where he's, he can say, Hey, we're, we're rolling the dice here. Pick, my, pick up my slack if I'm wrong. Yep. Yep. Another big thing probably not done by Justin Fuente was bringing in Nikki Giovanni to speak with the team this week. Um, a treasure for Virginia Tech, you know. And it's why we continue to say, and it's, you know, Dwight Vick said it this morning. We've said it on this podcast. JC needs to be retained regardless. Yeah. Because for a new coach, if you need someone, and maybe – if we think about what happened with Fuente when he came in, he had Bud and everything, but wasn't a graduate of Tech. Yep, Bud had been coaching there here close to 30 years when it happened, so he was a Virginia Tech. But I think having a Virginia Tech man, yeah, just get that coach in and literally almost tour guide him, right? Show him around, show him places, make him think. Talk about the history, talk about what happened here, talk about yep. what what these places mean to you and how you can use those to sell to recruits, to sell to donors, to sell to I mean sell the program to everybody. It's very true. And because more than likely the next head coach is not going to be a Hokie grad or a former Hokie player or anything like that. It's it, it, and that's the big piece. It's not likely going to be. I don't think there's anybody out there right now that is has that potential, um, to uh, to uh, sorry, I'm trying to get the game on here, folks, and I'm the ESPN app is screwing with me. But you, you just need some, and and the way it seems is Twente never bought into the culture, and. I think he showed respect to Beamer, but I don't think he ever like understood what the town means to anyone, anyone that is a fan. If you're a fan of Virginia Tech, the town of Blacksburg, you should have memories in that town. We do. Yeah. 
if you're a fan, you've been there, you should have memories at certain places. I know, you know, for me, it's probably between Tots and Fox Ridge and a couple other places. I knew, I know where yours is, dude. <laughs> Not every time we go down there, right? Yep. Yep. You know, and the old trick to get in there that was taught to you. And then, you know, I wonder if that's still the case, man. I don't know if they changed the technology or updated the doors or anything since then. It's true. And and back in 2019, when we went down, you were like tempted, like, should I go try it? I'm like, dude, we're 36 years old. No, we don't need to do this. Yeah. Like, like come off wrong. Like, I I had enough of a, it was enough of a faux pas when I was saying those things in like my early 20s. Um. It's true. But, uh, you know, he just, the next coach needs that. And I think having someone like JC, because especially I think with JC, maybe it's even more so JC who had been away from home for close to 20 years comes back and, and, and he relives those pieces. And his wife is a, is a Hokie hall of famer. His wife played here. They met here. It's that guy you need to, to, to know everything. Yeah. Uh, Brian, let's, let's hit this real quick before we kind of go into these other topics. Sure. Daryl Bailey hits the portal. Defensive lineman switches to offensive lineman. Obviously, this is probably going to be the first of many. Um, any 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 shocker there, or you know, is it one of those things where you almost want to say, "Hey, man, can you just wait and see who the coach is going to be?" I mean, this is the like further attrition from that 2020 class, right? <laughs> We're what was uh, it about? five. Five. Um, and, and really the best five. Not that that was a great class, at least yeah. in terms of rankings, but you got you got five gone from it. And it's you know, five of five of the best six uh in terms of those rankings. So who's the only one left now? Um who was it? I think it was one of the running backs. Jalen Hampton. Jalen Hampton yeah. Jalen Hampton has not been with the team for a while, so um. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I, I get if you're going to do it, but to me, I would tell every kid who's there, wait, wait to see who the new coach is before yeah. you start making these decisions. Because this could easily, easily, someone could come in that recruited you or you had a good relationship with, and the next thing you know, you're in the portal and you're going to have to walk back into their office and say, "Hey, I'd like to come back." And then it becomes a whole different circumstance, right? Like, well, dude, you, you didn't even know I was coming here and you just left. What type of mentality are you in? Yeah, I think that's the big thing because if we look at it, you know, we're more than likely going to have an answer on this thing by the middle of December. Nobody's getting a jump on this situation by doing it now. Um, well, you know, in terms of the like portal and everything else, I mean, if, if you're getting it done before late signing day, I think you're fine because you kind of position yourself to be kind of that either completing a class or kind of be that filler once a, once a class is, you know, officially finalized. Um, I know some people want to get a jump and get enrolled uh, for the winter um, going into the spring, but I think you can still do that um, with a, early December uh, portal visit versus having to wait until 
later. So that, that's kind of where, where I think the situation is. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if he hangs around or if he kind of already has an idea of where he's going. So that's why he went ahead and did it. Yeah. Now, if that's the case, if he already knows where he wants to go, like we mentioned when we had our portal episode on, you know, just, you know, a few months ago, recruiting's not stopping. Yeah. You know, it's, I mean, you want to make a bet that the second Justin Fuente was fired, somebody who liked Daryl Bailey from when he was being recruited didn't text him. Hey, sorry about, you know, Salfu got fired. I know you really loved him as your coach. Um, Hey, you know, you know how much we liked you. Just keep us in mind. You know, hit me up. There's no – because the NCAA is such a F up, there's no sort of guidelines on that, right? No. You can't you can't say, well, you can't recruit. Like you can still have the relationships. So again, the the NCAA screw up, which is never a shot, essentially is it's 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 like tamper season, right? In the NBA, the NFL, and any other major league sport. Yeah, it's interesting. Um and you know, I imagine that there's some some relationship still there. Um you know, it's just a a couple years back at this point. And, you know, Bailey was a guy that was asked to switch positions because of a need. Um, really only saw action in one game um, against UNC. I think that was kind of a, you know, when they were still mixing up the line to see what type of rotations that was going to look like. So, um, you know, I, I get it from his perspective. If he knows what he wants to do and he, he prefers that defensive line, which that may be the case. That that might be one of the things that's that was holding us back here as well. Was that you know he's asked to switch switch positions. His coach isn't there anymore. He's likely going to lose most of his offensive staff. Uh, might be a good chance to kind of hit the reset button for him. Yep, and and he's and he's still a freshman, and he hasn't played, so he's going to walk in elsewhere at the one-time transfer rule as a freshman. He's yep. not going to have to sit. So, you know, it is what it is. We're going to see more. We'll talk about them as they come around. um, Something me and you wanted to hit before um, this game just to kind of put a reset on. Hey, I finally got the game on. We're down 10-7, five minutes in. Yep. All right. Job openings. Now, one guy that had been mentioned with numerous folks, numerous, you potentially saw him go in the SEC, Hugh Freeze gets extended at Liberty. Um, Yep. I'm a little shocked by that, that he would take such an extension. So it's either A, I wonder if he's just been told by schools, you got another three to four years before anybody's going to touch you. You've been there a couple, you're doing the remake tour, you're still showing us you can coach, but nobody wants to deal with that potential backlash. Yeah, I think that's some of it. I think it just is – you know, one of those things where you you get a reputation, and I think they want to see a little bit larger sample size. Um, and Liberty obviously is completely content with having having him, so um, they made a play to go ahead and keep him in house, pushing him over four million a year. And yeah. you know, I don't think anybody else is ready to give him much more than that to to draw him away from Liberty. So unless he's getting a an opportunity that he can't turn down then that, that kind of puts him riding Liberty a little bit longer until that, that 
opportunity comes his way. Yep, I agree with you on that 100%. I think he's just going to wait it. And, again, I think he's been told because I think a team like LSU would have taken a risk on him in a heartbeat. He came in that division. He beat Saban. He had him competitive. He had good recruiting classes for various reasons. Um, But I think he's been told you've still got a few more years before you're allowed back into the big boy ranks. Yeah. All right. All right, Brian, let's run through these schools and let's just kind of say, are we competing with them? Are we not competing with them? Um, So I'm going to throw the first one here because the smoke's all over the place. The Florida Gators. Competing, not competing. Uh, Absolutely competing. Probably on this list, the school we're competing most directly for at what we consider higher end uh, evaluations that we're, we're aiming for in terms of our targets. And whereas they're, that's probably their first or second tier um, targets as well. So yeah, they're, they're probably at the top of the list in terms of who we're, we're, we're fighting for, for the next head coach. I agree. I think something you said the other day, I think our, First choice is probably their third. I, I really, I really believe that. I really, you said it the other day, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna back what you said. You kind of said he's up there, but he's not their one. Because I think what you made the point of the other day, if he was their one, and he really wanted to go there, it'd already be done. It, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. If if he was their one. If we if we had if we if 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 our one was his one was their one, then it'd already be a done deal. Um, not saying that we can't compete with the same targets that Florida's targeting, but I mean, when you look at the resources, when you look at the uh, facilities, I mean, there's a lot of things that stack up. The only thing that really doesn't stack up is that it's a little bit harder to win, and that. In that division. There you go. Agreed 100%. All right, next, LSU. Competing, not competing? Uh, Competing, but not as strenuously as uh, Florida. I feel like LSU oftentimes has specific guys in mind. Um, While I feel like a guy like Napier is definitely on the radar just because he has been recruiting that state, I think they're looking for that big fish hire. Um, so I don't necessarily think that like more than likely they're trying to lure a Jimbo Fisher type coach away from a school like A&M before they're targeting uh, an in-state G5 coach like Napier. I'm going to say this. I don't even think, I think they might be reaching out to Jimbo. That might be their first choices. I'll give you my straight up who I think they're going to get. It's going to be Dave Aranda. You think so? The coach at Baylor. The defensive coordinator when they won the national title he was there for multiple years, had multiple good defenses, very familiar with the school. Um, I think he's gone. I think he's there. I think they called about Jimbo. I think they called about some other guys who aren't really their current situations. And I think he's going to be like their three. I think Napier's probably their five or six. Um, but I think it's going to be Aranda, unless – as we talk about the next one. Yep. Let's talk USC, University of Southern California. Competing, not competing. Um, not competing. Me either. I think LSU might be competing with them for Aranda. Because yeah. Aranda is a California guy, and 
if you take the lay of the land, do you go back to um to uh do you go back home at a program that essentially needs a little bit of a rebuild? Um that's gonna be interesting. But we we're gonna talk about this in trickle down, but I think we've got to mention it right here. James Franklin ain't going there. Yep. And we're going to talk. And I think that's the big thing. Once once James Franklin got extended, uh, that really kind of changed the game. Yeah. Damn. That really kind of changed the game in terms of who USC was going to be targeting. And I think that took a lot of the other guys that we were potentially you know worried about from the chip down perspective out of play. Yeah. Can I ask this? And we're going to talk about a few more schools, but let's we're going to talk about the trickle down. Penn State's now off the table. And people are we, – we, it was kind of this shocker of, hey, that's, a, that's a long extension. You're Penn State. In the last five years, you've been to three New Year's Six Bowls. You've won a Big Ten title. You beat Ohio State. You beat Michigan. Yep. You, you can say what you will. You say what you will. And I'm going to go that this was Justin Fuente in the last five years. If Justin Fuente in the last five years had won the ACC, went to three New Year's Bowls, would we extend him 10 years? Probably. I yep. would say, well, he's got a dry personality. I don't give a damn about his personality. He is winning, and he is winning to a point to where he's going to big games all the time. Yeah. It's like they're understanding their niche, right? They're understanding we're going to have probably once every five years where the team is together where we can make a run. And we're yep. happy with that. Well, they recruit well enough where – you know, they're, they're always going to be competitive even if they're not necessarily winning that division, right? Yeah, absolutely. Always competitive. Even this year and kind of a down year for them, you know, if they beat Michigan State, they're going to have eight wins, probably go to a solid bowl, have a chance to win nine. Yeah. A couple years before that, winning 10 and 11 games. I, I think whoever the AD in that base understands, this is where we need to be. Um. Now, one program that had been like that for close to 20 years is the next one we're going to talk about, TCU. And I'll say I think we're competing with them, but they did get the jump and haven't really made a move yet. And then the story broke that Sonny Dykes is likely there. Does that shock you? It doesn't shock me. It's it's a good fit overall for them. It's kind of a uh, – I mean, Sonny Dykes in the Texas area is – essentially kind of doing the same things that some of the other guys we've talked about heavily in the last, last uh, show are doing closer to our, our geographic footprint. So that kind of makes sense for them. Yeah. And because of that, that takes somebody else out of of play. That's not directly uh, competing. Now I'll ask this. If you're the SMU AD is Fuente your one or is what happened at Virginia tech? Cause SMU since you, Let's let's just kind of go with they had Chad Morris, had good success. Dykes has picked up kind of where Chad left off and had good success. Do you turn to Justin Fuente? I think Fuente's in that discussion. I don't think he's necessarily their one, but I think he's probably their two or three. All right. Makes sense. Obviously, the last two are the two schools out west, UW and Wazoo. I don't really see them competing. Um for us, I think their hires will be interesting. Yeah. Um, but I can't see two upper Northwest schools 
coming after anybody in the South or Southeast. And yes, I know Auburn hired a Boise coach, which was completely unexpected. Um, but, you know, I, I think here's what I'd like to look at. Okay. Whoever UW hires, I'd like to compare them to our hire. Because I can see a lot of similarities with us and UW as an overall program style. It's not the last 10 years because Peterson went there, went to the playoff, won the Pac-12 several times, had a really good record. But I think looking at who they hire and who we hire and kind of doing a tit for tat, like, you know, are we in the same ballpark? Or it's like, man, they they hired this guy and this guy's four times better than what we got. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yep. All right. So, Brian, we've already kind of mentioned it, the trickle-down effect. Obviously, Penn State out, thank goodness. But let's talk about ones we think. We already mentioned Dave Aranda with Baylor. Um. I don't think Billy Napier, any other guys, I feel like that's going to be such a weird job to go take. Yeah. And with Texas Tech and TCU already open, already chasing after guys, they are going to – if Aranda does go, um, because Aranda might have to wait until – what if, if Oklahoma State beats Oklahoma, Baylor gets the Big 12 championship? Yeah. So you're almost having to wait really a long, long time for Baylor in this case. Like if LSU swoops in, they sign the contract. Baylor's literally looking for the week before signing day to get a new coach. That's going to be yeah. a tough one. That's going to be a tough one. And I think they probably – I wonder if they're already like – I and somebody in particular as well, thinking that Aranda might be one of those guys that's going to be getting uh, getting picked off there, or if they they may be willing to push some chips in and extend him, so that's something that doesn't happen. Maybe that would be really interesting if Baylor were able to hold on to him, especially with the two jobs he's essentially linked to. All right, it was mentioned last week that kind of Manny Diaz was playing for his job. I still think Manny Diaz is out. You know, new AD, more money being pushed. Yeah. They're almost in a Fuente situation, but they don't have COVID to fall back on not to fire him. Yeah, and they're in a situation where they're 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 kind of struggling with mediocrity as well. Um, they're probably a little bit ahead of us in terms of recruiting and a little bit ahead of us in terms of, you know, what type of um, – record they have they've had a little bit higher highs recently um and not quite as as many valleys yep but yeah i think if you didn't have the new ad coming in i think you could make a case for manny diaz staying at least another year i don't know if you can make that case right now um just because with the new ad kind of all bets are off is that new ad gonna gonna give an extra year or is that new AD going to go ahead and pull the trigger and get his guy in there? Yep. Who do you think his guy would be, though? That's a good question because I think Florida schools in particular are going to be in that direct conflict with us in terms of going after coaches. So the question is, do they make the call soon enough where they're in any sort of play um, to impact you know, what we're doing, what Florida's doing? Um, you know, us in Florida may already have have the pick actually sewn up. 
Um, we just haven't been able to officially announce it. True. See, with them, I think it's completely different. I think they've got the hire in Mario Cristobal. Okay. I think you can – I mean, okay, the guy played on the 91 championship team, started O-line, played in the 92 championship game. He has been a successful coach. He was there for a while um, during the Coker era. And I think you just pick up and say, listen, this is yours. Do you want to come home? Yeah. And for I can see that. And, and and you sit there and say, well, would he really want to do that? There's money at Oregon. All right, here's the deal, and this is a little ego thing. Mario Cristobal's coached to close to 20 years. In the last 10, he's been at nothing but high-profile jobs. He's making yeah. over $5.5 million at Oregon. I don't think he worries about money. I think Mario Cristobal's got $20 million in the bank, maybe a little less. He's definitely got probably eight figures. For him, though, to be – to have the championship ring on his finger. To be the guy who could potentially bring back the U, that's something that would could never come off you. Yeah, it's way, true. I think the way he coaches, he could do it. But if that happens, then Oregon's going to be open. And, all right, now, Oregon to me is more of a national job. I don't think they'd be looking at anybody we're looking at but again, it's that fallout effect, right? Could yeah. get opening up trickle something? Could they get somebody from a school that might impact us? Yeah, that's and, the big thing. Uh, because right now we don't really know what that's going to look like. Uh, they do have a bigger national footprint, but I don't know if their national footprint really is going to be targeting you know, kind of those top three or four guys that we're looking at. I could see them going big time power five um, defensive coordinator. I could see them going defensive or offensive coordinator. I could see them going um, targeting a, a head coach or a former head coach and picking them off. They really have a lot of options, um, but I don't necessarily think that they necessarily step on our toes very much either. Yep. Bears would be more of a trickle down. Like a, like even further trickle down effect, depending on where they pulled from, um, you know. But so much of their stuff has been internal <laughs> hires. You go all the way back; it was like Chip Kelly was the OC there, Helfrich was the OC there, Cristobal was the OC there. They haven't made a true like hire, like they haven't made a true hire outside of their internal workings yeah. since the nineties. Yeah, which that's kind of wild. Insane. I mean, go up and look for it. It went. It was Rich who came there in like '90s, then they hired Bilotti, and Bilotti was there for like a decade. He brought in Chip, and and it's crazy that that happened. It's crazy that they've been as competitive. Yeah, it's crazy that they've been able to keep it internal, but still have really been relevant, if not damn good, the entire yeah. time. Yeah, Taggart's the only one. Taggart's the only one. He lasted one season. That's it. Yep. Crazy. All right. All right, Brian, before we get into Know the Enemy for the True Hate Week, we are going to take a quick pause with the message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. 
You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, as I look up here, we are down 1913. 1915. 1915. Yep. Under 10 minutes to go. You know, definitely got to be proud of how they're hanging in there. 1917. Storm Murphy with the reverse. Oh, I'm watching this. Oh, got a foul here. Oh, they didn't call a foul. Here it is. All right, let's get to it, Brian. Know the (laughs) enemy. We are playing the Commonwealth Cup, the University of Virginia. Hate, 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 hate. And Brian. Eli Manning. Heard him. So we got to start with their offense. You know, just putting up some unbelievable numbers this year. One of the top offenses in the country, and there ain't no way to downplay that. No. They've been been doing work, man. They've been doing absolute work. And they're led by Brennan Armstrong, the six foot two, 215 pound quarterback out of Shelby, Ohio, who was a three star when he came out. Believe it or not, originally a Minnesota commit. Oh, Ooh. okay. Um, and right now he's number three in passing in the country with missing a full game, um, 4,044 yards, top 10 in touchdowns, 30 picks. 30 touchdowns, nine interception. He also leads the team in rushing attempts. Um, definitely, obviously, a reason why he was probably injured, but he also has gotten seven touchdowns, 65% completion. There is, like, nothing to fill there. What are you seeing on the tape, and, you know, what do we have to watch out for? Yeah, probably the biggest thing, and the biggest thing that he's improved in since last year when we saw him um, – is that decision-making, a lot quicker with his decision-making, knowing where he wants to go with the football. And that's the biggest thing that he's improved since since last year. Um, really accurate with his passes, especially in the short and intermediate game. And he does a really good job of escaping pressure and throwing on the run. Um, so he's not just a, it's not there, I'm taking off. He does a good job of getting outside the pocket, keeping his eyes downfield and throwing and hitting the man in stride. And he can also hurt it, hurt us with his legs, uh, design runs, but also scrambles and keepers. Yeah, and with the rushing, he's he's right at about 300 yards for the year. Um, so it, it's not like he is a a Braxton type threat where if you give him a seam, he can take it 40 yards. But if you give him a little seam, he's going to make you pay with probably picking up a first down. Yeah, I mean, his athleticism is very similar like Kenny Pickett's. He's probably maybe just a shade faster, yeah, um, but probably not quite as much feel for it as as Pickett has at this point. Yeah, he's got – you talk about the faster. I think he's he's quicker to get out where Pickett is more in the pocket, right, more mobile in the pocket. You see Armstrong, a lot of times if he gets in trouble, he kind of humps outside because essentially probably – you know, you, you kind of already made the point, you know, he throws good on the run. Yeah. Right? So, if I get outside, I trust my arm, but if they give me enough of a crease, I'm going to go up and get four or five yards. Yep. So, um, you know, he's wearing a flag jacket, so need to hit him, need to yep. make him feel those injured ribs. 
I don't condone violence, but it is strategic. Now, Brian, he is throwing to a uh, pretty talented wide receiving core or receiving core in general. And I want to start with the Tante Vion Wicks, wide receiver who was a four-star by 247 out of Plaquemine, Louisiana, 6'1", 210. He did not play in 2020. So even more surprising to see how much he's developed this year with 54 receptions, 1,148 yards, over – 20 per catch. Yeah, that's the big thing. Big thing. And he's making them pay. You know, he's scoring a touchdown on just about 16% of every ball he catches. So if you give him 10, he's probably going to catch at least one for a touchdown on Saturday. Um, You know, and that 1148 is top 10 in the country. So he is one of those elite wide receivers. What does the tape tell about what he does for Brennan Armstrong? So he, he's their best deep threat on the team, and it's not just throwing it deep to him. He's got really good run after the catch. Uh, he's got good speed, great route runner. Um, seeing him being this polished at route running um, is, is pretty impressive for him. And, you know, when, when he's in those situations where he matches up against a defender, he does a good job of high-pointing the ball and winning those kind of one-on-one battles. So really kind of the the all-around complete receiver that you like, especially the fact that he can do a lot after the catch and, and turn a, a a quick hitter into a big play. Yep. Now, let me ask this, Brian. Something I was mentioning to you earlier this week. Is he sort of the um, – is he like – Miami has three and four of them. Is he the only one that UVA has like Miami? Um – yeah. Okay. He's probably the only elite level player on this group. Um, this group is deeper than Miami, um, but they are not quite as top end at every position as Miami. So they've got probably five or six guys that can go out there and produce in a given game. Um, uh, but they've only got one that can really kind of break the game open, and that's Wiggs. Got it. All right. Well, speaking of one of those other options, they've got Keonta Thompson, the football player. I'm sorry. That's still the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's um, corny, man. It's like, corny shit. you know, call him OW offensive. Web, like that, at least, you know, football player can apply to, you know, me. <laughs> Does he play offensive line? No, then he's not a true football player, Bronco, you noob. <laughs> He was a Mississippi State transfer, and, you know, him coming out, he was a pretty highly coveted quarterback. He was a four-star, a top-five dual-threat quarterback, um, and didn't quite pan out. Give him credit for being willing to take on something new. We know a lot of players who will not do that. But so far this year, 244 yards on the ground, averaging over six a carry. He's got three touchdowns that way. 70 receptions for 882 yards, over 12 per receptions, only a couple touchdowns there. So easy 1,000 from, you know, scrimmage. I'm kind of interested, Brian, when you were looking at the tape, how did they get him the ball running? What were they doing Uh, so it was usually out of motion, but sometimes they'd even line him up in the backfield, either in shotgun or like pistol behind the quarterback. So they get him involved in a lot of different ways. 
Um, they like to line him up at wide receiver. They'll get him going that way. Um, it's a lot of different ways they get him involved in the football game. Um, they really kind of use him mostly as a like a hybrid H back wide receiver. That, that's probably the the most descriptive thing that you can apply to him. Okay. Um, but he's got good hands for a guy that wasn't a wide receiver, you know, kind of out the gate there. So um, it's interesting to see um, how he's progressed from last year because he's definitely more of a offensive threat this year than he was last year. He was really more of a gadget type player last year. Yeah. Again, give give him credit. Give them credit for convincing him to listen. You can be a wide receiver, H back. Um, does he block any? Or he does. It's, it's not. It's not his. Uh, it's not his forte. Um, <laughs> um, I'd say he's average at best. Um, but okay. sometimes all you need is a guy to get in the way. Um, and so they usually scheme him in an area where if he gets in the way, he's probably doing most of his job. Got it. All right. Next guy we want to talk about definitely um, is, you know, probably used a little more in the uh, blocking game. Jelani Woods, the tight end, six foot seven, 275 pounds. The Oklahoma State transfer was a three star when he came out. So far this year, solid numbers for a tight end, not going crazy or anything. 37 receptions, 534 yards, just over 14 per reception. Seven touchdowns, so obviously, you know, along with um, Wicks, definitely a favorite target as they get down into the red zone and for some big pass plays. Yeah. What is the tape telling us, um, again, on these? this is one of those when he was transferring and they saw him going to UVA. I remember we kind of had conversations like, like, this is a guy that would probably be good for us. But, you know, of course we didn't go after him. Yeah, and, I mean, he's kind of the all-around tight end. Um, does a really good job uh, with the kind of stick movers um, in terms of the receiving threat. Um, they will split him out. They'll do a couple different things with him. He's not just an inline guy. Um, and he's an average blocker, so, he, you know, they, they really aren't great in the run game, and he doesn't bring a whole lot to that, but he's good enough um, where you're gonna, they will line him up in line. They will also line him up. Uh, split out wide. So, I mean, really good player, um, but more of a threat in the passing game than being an asset in the running game. Got it. Sorry. Big three-pointer right there from – who was that? From Allen to cut it to three. Um, it's kind of crazy because you would think somebody with that big of a body would be a lot better in pass. So, but you also think, well, he's coming from a Big 12 school. How much did they actually use him in doing that? Yeah. Um, again, I would I would have loved to have somebody like this on our team. But uh, it is what it is. All right, Brian, last piece we're going to hit here is going to be their running game and their offensive line. Um, they really don't have a one standout running back. It's kind of the quarterback, Keontae Thompson, and three other guys, and it's Wayne Talapapa. Um Mike Collins and Devin Darrington are kind of carrying the weight there in some way. And the offensive line, Brian, not a good pass pro offensive line, at least based on the stats. 121st in sacks allowed at 38, 121st in tackles for loss allowed, 
excuse me, 92nd in tackles for loss, 53. So they are giving up, you know, roughly a little over nine, you know, behind the line of scrimmage tackles a game. Yep. And the rushing offense is 97, just about 127 a game. So similar to my Emmys numbers, what 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 do we can can we get a pass rush on like we did last week? Uh, we should be able to get a good pass rush. Um, they're I mean they're really bad in the in the run game. We kind of talked about it there. So uh, bad in the run game. Uh, overall, a below average unit um, in pass pro. Armstrong being able to break contain in the pocket, uh, being able to run, makes them look even better than they than the numbers show. Um, and they're, they're really bad run blocking. Um, you know, you talked about the trio there. Talapapa is kind of the, uh, the plotter. Um, he'll get them yards. They'll bring in Hollins as kind of the, uh, the mix it up back. Um, he's a little bit more of a kind of one cut and go. And that helps them a little bit, but they really, most most everything that they gain in the running game is because of the threat of the passing game. All right. So if the passing game, if we can contain that in the slightest, this isn't like Pitt. Where Pitt, we kind of got that passing game under control, but they're good enough running the ball where they essentially suck the clock dry where – Especially the way the offense played that day, we had no chance. They don't have an Abanacanda on their team. They don't have an offensive line that can get them to the edge consistently. And that, that's the two things that Pitt could still do. All right. So let's take a note of that, folks, that if it gets into one of these scrum games and we are somehow shutting down their passing attack, they don't have that to lean back on, unlike Syracuse, unlike Pitt and a couple of the losses we had this year. All right, Brian, let's flip it over to the defensive side of the ball. Um, this defense is bad. Yeah. And and when they hired Bronco Mendenhall, you know, what, six years ago, next week, I thought my first thought was, well, they're never going to be bad defensively. They're wretched defensively. Scoring defense, 102nd in the nation. They're giving up 32 points a game. Run defense, they're giving up. 217 yards per game. I, I like the sound of that. Their total defense is 121st, giving yep. up 466. So they're giving up another 250 passing. There's one thing they're good at, and it's probably because they've only been down there not as many times as most teams, is their red zone defense is 27th in the nation, you know, 46 trip, they've given up 35 scores, 24 are touchdowns. So they're, they're not like elite. Yeah. Still giving up two thirds is touchdowns. But uh, what kind of defense are they running? And um, let's talk about Nick Jackson, Brian. Yeah. So let's start with the, with the front. Um, it's a 3 3 5 um, kind of multiple front. Um, they'll go into a 2-4 look. They'll go into a 3-4 look, but the base defense is a 3-3-5. And this is kind of a change from the previous few years where they were running more of a 3-4 um, mm-hmm. as their base. Um, th- this is kind of the Bronco Mendenhall, like, BYU look here, right? Yeah. Um, so it, it's a little bit different. Um but in terms of Nick Jackson, he's their inside linebacker, and he's really the 
probably the better of the two linebackers. He's only average against the run. He doesn't do a great job of shedding blockers, um, but he is their primary blitzing linebacker uh, when they bring the inside guys, and he does a really good job there. And he's really above average in their zone coverage as well, so he he helps them out and uh, bails them out a lot of times in zone coverage. All right. And Jackson's a 6'1", 235, as Brian said, linebacker. was a high three-star out of Lovett School down in Atlanta. Um, let me ask this, Brian. So he's you talk about him being good on the blitz. He's got two and a half sacks. For a linebacker, that's not a bad number. Um, another three tackles for loss. Why is his tackle number so good at 107? I mean, that's an ungodly amount of tackles. Is it is it more of him cleaning up, or is it more of he's good in coverage, so he's where he's supposed to be all the time? It's a little bit of that, the the, the latter there. Um, he's also – he's not as quick to get off blocks, but it also puts him in a position where if it gets to the second level, sometimes he's the guy cleaning it up, but he's cleaning it up five or six or seven or eight yards downfield, not meeting guys in the hole. Oh, Okay. So it's one of those things where the numbers is he's doing his job, but he's just not doing it. He's doing it average to below average. Yeah. Makes sense. Exactly. All right. Next guy I want to hit on here, Brian, is um, Joey Blunt, the six foot two, 205 um, defensive back. He's a mid three star. He was at a landmark Christian in Fairbank, or excuse me, Fairburn, Georgia, 77 tackles, four for loss. Really high number for a safety. Three picks along with three pass defended. Um, is he in the box safety or is he a free? So he's their free safety, but he ends up um, – they'll they'll either drop him deep but sometimes they'll bring him in on robber um, type coverage where he'll be kind of playing underneath in that second level of defense instead of on the top end. Um, he makes some of the, the back end issues they have um, kind of go away a little bit. Um, so that helps, but, you know, he does also, um, come on blitzes, but he, he does, if he ever gets matched up in man situations, he does get beat. So, um, they try to not match him up in man very often. Uh, but when he's in zone, he's, he's a pretty good defender. All right. So one of those things I would say, if we had a pretty good, passing offense, like let's go four wide and force him to come down or force them to go to some sort of dime package where they're taking one of their better linebackers off the field. But obviously we can't do that. So um, can you run at him? Uh, You can. He's actually pretty good against the run. Um, He does a good job with tackling. So that's the big thing. Sometimes he will miss a fit. Sometimes he'll guess wrong, things like that. But he does a good job overall of being where he needs to be. All right. Good deal on that. All right, let's go quickly. Let's get into the trenches here, Brian. Let's talk about Mandy Al- Mandy Alonzo, a six foot two, two hundred and ninety pound um defensive lineman. A two star coming out of Miami, Florida. So far this season, he's got three sacks. He's got six additional tackles for loss, along with thirty tackles. And I know when they put when I see six foot two ninety, I immediately want to say he's somewhere on the inside. But when I hear three three stack, I mean, is he playing like a nose or is he kind of moving up and down the line? Uh, he's that DN, but he's also the one of the guys that's staying in if they go to that that two that two four look. So okay, um, you know, 
when you think of DN in a in a three man front, you're getting a heavier guy, usually somewhere in the 280 to 290 range, sometimes even heavier depending on the scheme. And he and he does work. He's the most balanced defensive lineman that they use because um, he can play inside and outside depending on uh, you know which front they're going with. Um, he's their best defensive lineman against the run, and he really shows a good motor in the in the pass game as well. So I think that's a big thing to look out for is that he he will get after the quarterback too. All right, yeah, obviously three sacks. I think that might actually lead their team. Let me pull it up here real quick. Just to show you how bad the defense is. Um, yes, he is leading the team with three sacks. So um it when you talk about is he playing like a four technique primarily? Or is it yeah, like- he's, he's playing primarily a four. Um okay. you know, they'll they'll slide him into a three if they go with that two man front. Okay. Um, but he's primarily in a four. Um they'll slant him inside and out there. All right. So last person I want to talk about is Anthony Johnson, primarily because the potential of not having Trey Turner. I wanted to look at Anthony Johnson, Brian, six one, 205 pounds. Um, so far, three interceptions this year, 41 tackles, two tackles for loss, four pass defended. He was a Louisville transfer, low three-star, very low three-star when he came out from Chaminade, from Chaminade. Everybody should know Shamanon. The Maui Invitational is on this week. If you haven't seen Shamanon play, they're usually terrible. Madonna High School um, in Hollywood, Florida. So is he their best corner, or is he just an inside type guy? Uh, yeah, he's their best cover corner. Um, he does a really good job in uh, zone in particular. Um, he does a good job of, of breaking on the ball, reacting, Um he will get beat in man, um, but he, he's not necessarily a, a, a liability out there either. Okay. Um, he'll he'll win some, he'll lose some. Um, so that's an opportunity we have to to kind of take advantage of them um, in coverage. There is is maybe attack him when we see man. All right. So I, I'm assuming this is going to be super important for Trey to come back then. Yeah, because um, I, I think it will struggle if we don't have this. You know have him matched up a majority on Trey. That'll give some of the other guys some opportunities in this passing game. And we should still be able to pass on them regardless. Um, but having Trey in there would definitely be a, a big benefit. All right. That's what I thought. And before we uh, flip over to the Lambda version of the Hokies, it is a one-point game as we're getting to the end of the half here. Um, that is an offensive foul. But yeah, it did get, get called. All it. They've had a quick whistle and everything else, and now they're you know swallowing the whistle in his last minute for no reason. Like he barreled into him. That was hilarious. Like I mean, there you can. No, they still it. took that bad of a shot. Holy cow! Yeah. What a shit! You shot. got two possessions there and then took that shot. <laughs> that was like a full seven or eight inches short of the rim. That was terrible. All right, so let's flip to the lambda version, Brian. Oh, this isn't the lambda version this week, Brian. This is the final version of the year, and I forgot to update it. This is not Lambda. I do not want the Lambda version. We show the fucking Lambda version, we're going to lose this game. <laughs> we're going to lose this freaking game. Yeah, we don't want that one. We do not want that one. So this week, last but not least, this is the move version. The move version. And, uh, Brian, let's start with the offense. 
we ran the ball 30 times with our quarterbacks last week. Yeah, can't do that. So what's point number one that if Brad Cornelson actually had any common sense he'd do? Well, the big thing you want to do is you want to run the ball with your running backs. Um, you know, the, the the guys that you recruit to run the football. Um, that's what Didn't you want to do. broken 100 in the last month. Yeah. yeah. Really good. ACC running back of the week, the previous week before you gave him three carries. Three carries. Like, makes no god-awful sense. We've already shown they are terrible against the run. Yep. I think potentially if this team runs the ball like we have at points this year, I think we can break 300. If we break 300, this game's going to be a game in the 20s. Yeah. I think they're going to be nervous. Um, yeah, this game is all about extending our drives and keeping their offense off the field and getting touchdowns when we need to get them. So, yeah. Something we saw last week, Brian, and both guys made some extremely good plays. Jalen Jones, Dwayne Lofton, they can't lose their red shirt. So what do we want? Get them in the game. Get them involved. Get the youth involved. You know, we've already uh, you know got some, some uptick in that last week. Let's see more of that this week. Um, let's kind of pull out all the stops with the youth, get them out there if they're – you know, playing well in practice, get them out there. Let's see what they can do. We need all hands on deck. Yep. And and when they showed last week, they were ready for big moments. Dwayne Lofton with the touchdown catch and with that fourth down conversion catch and Jalen Jones over the middle showing no fear, getting popped, holding on to the ball, getting a big first down. And if I – it's going to be one of those things, too, where if we don't see them, I think us as a fan base on Saturday afternoon are just going to just get a little more angry. Like, these guys showed you they could do it. Yeah. And now you're pulling them off the field. Because I think some of the sets you can go with, with Jones, with Lofton, with Tay, with Caleb, with Trey, you could give them some real problems. So attack them. Yep. I'm hey, with Brian, I mentioned it earlier. The one good thing UVA is they are a decent red zone defense team. We have to have some big plays. Yeah, we're going to have to score from outside the 20 at least a couple times here. So we need some big plays that turn into points. Now, the honest truth is if you've watched them play this year, they can surrender them. Don't. Yep. It, it ain't like they're uh, lighting the world up. They can surrender those big plays. So I think popping it, like you said, I think at least two. Um, I think if we get two, it's going to be a competitive game. I think if we get more than two, I think they could be in a world of hurt because if we're popping a couple big running plays off and we get a one big passing play, I know it favors into the, we're getting into the thirties kind of favors them. Well, the issue is if we're running the ball like that, there's going to be some drives where we extend, right? Yep. We're going to pop some, we're going to have extended drives and eventually their defense is going to be done. And if, if that comes to case where it's late in the game and it's a tie game and you're just running the ball at will, just run, slow the tempo down. Yeah. Run, slow the tempo down, run, slow the tempo down where you're going to force Armstrong who has at times can make errors. All right. One last piece here, Brian, it was the big killer last week. 
And it was against a defense who wasn't that good. We're against a defense that, again, is not that good at sacking the quarterback. Yep. If we can limit the negative plays and limit sacks, then we should be able to put some points on this board, on the, this team, and move the ball well. Um, they don't sack the, the quarterback much. They don't throw folks for tunnel tackles for loss. We can't let something that's their weakness turn into any sort of asset to them in this game. Yep. And it's essentially what we did for Miami. And, yes, it's a 38-26 game, but some of those plays where it looked like we were going to get the ball moving, we took a big sack. We took yep. a big tackle for loss, and it slowed the momentum down. And it's one of those weird things, right? Well, they're not good at it, but they, they, had, they had a lucky game. No. When a team has a lucky game like that, it's essentially on you to not let the worst part of their game become a strength. Yep. We're going into this game where we thought – Right, Brian, let's talk about defense now. We're going into this game thinking, looking at the Miami game, why we predicted the game. Our back end had been solid all year, with the way we mixed coverages and everything. Yep. There were two games we discussed right before we got on here. If we have preferences on the back end of Miami and Syracuse, we're not winning this game. We are not winning this game. You take any of the other nine games – and I know West Virginia, we got burned a couple times. In every game, we got burned a couple times. But overall, the back end had played well. What do yep. we have to do, Brian? Um, got to go back to the coverages that we've seen have success against this type of offense. Um, really, I mean, if we want to look at a mirror, let's look at how we played against uh, Pitt and yeah. try to replicate that because Pitt tries to do a lot of the same type of things in the passing game that UVA does and has a similar type of quarterback that has that athleticism, but also good at slinging it downfield, um, good in the intermediate game. So need to try to mirror some of that. Uh, definitely less cover two than we saw last week. <laughs> less cover two. B- burn less cover less two. Cover. Yeah, burn it. <sighs> the only time we need to be playing cover two is if we're up like 17. Like, truly, if we're up 17, please, that, then you can call a cover, too. Um, you know something else, Brian, last week? If we go back and look at Duke compared to last week, I felt like on Duke, and I know they had a younger quarterback, and they're not a good team. We brought a lot more pressure. Yeah. Do you think yeah, we, we were definitely sitting back more against Miami. I feel like th- this is one of those where if you can press the issue with the quarterback a little bit, make them make some mistakes, I think that's that plays in your favor. I know he can sling it around, but if you're not getting to him with, with four, you need to try something else because I'd, I'd much rather maybe have some sort of um, vacated area in the defense but rush the quarterback than – not rush the quarterback, let him sit back and find all those windows. Yeah. We've mentioned his athleticism. He has a little bit. But his athleticism isn't going to be gaining massive chunks every time. Yeah. I think the risk is worth the reward. I think the risk of him potentially getting 7 to 12 yards on a broken play is worth the reward of sacking him three, four times, getting them well behind the sticks, making as the coverage you like that ham runs best is when we run that quarters coverage, letting let's get in. It's third and 15, get in quarters, getting quarters lined across the field. Cover four, cover six, do it, do it. All right. 
next piece on defense, Brian. And you tell me what you meant by this, because this was a couple of days ago when we talked about it. Mixing up the underneath coverages. Explain that again. Like, what do you want to see? And when I'm thinking this, this is going to be linebackers, Jamari, um, and maybe whoever's playing Rover. Yeah, yeah. I want to make sure that we're we're running some man with those underneath guys. I want to see that we're um, bringing some of the safeties into the box, into that second level of coverage instead of having them deep. Um, I want to keep Armstrong guessing about not knowing who is defending what area of the zone, who's manning up on who. The more we can keep him guessing, the more um, he can't just hit those intermediate routes at will. All right. What about the whole – I think I mentioned this to you the other day about sometimes sending the blitz and forcing the throws over the middle. Like, are you okay – I think we would have been okay with Miami with Van Dyke. Are you okay with – them having to put together eight to 10 yard, eight to 10 plate drives. Yeah. I mean, the more we can force them to have to drive the field, the more they could potentially make some mistakes and give us the ball back or stop a drive that ends short of scoring range or ends in three instead of six. Um, I mean, that's really what you're trying to do here. All right. So, so when you're talking about the underneath stuff, it's more of, Essentially, try to give them a confusing look, but in I guess in some cases, if we're giving you the middle of the field, take the middle of the field. You get six yards, we tackle you, but you have to throw again. You're not getting 16, you're not getting 26 downfield. Well, and, and if you're going to, again, you show them one thing, that, that drive you give up six, but then you show them something different the very next play, and now he's thinking more. So I think that's what you want to do. Um, you know, don't, don't, don't get comfortable with one look on those underneath guys, mix it up. So he, he's not sure what you're throwing at it next. And, yeah. and they're, you know, eight times out of 10 are going to be throwing the ball. So. Yep. It's true because we've already said that they don't have a really good run game and much like the way we ended the defensive section, we're going to end the offensive section. We cannot let this run game hurt us. Yep. This run game needs to be at 120, their average, or below. Yep. If Absolutely. You can't let something that is a weakness of your opponent become an asset. And, and we said it with the with the offensive side for us. Um, Got to limit the uh, the sacks and negative plays. Same on, on defense. Can't let the run game hurt you. Can't let them average over 4.5 yards a carry. Keep them at or below their average, which I believe is what four point three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so keep them below that. Um, keep them behind the sticks. Um, if they decide to run the ball, make them pay for it by having to throw the ball further the next down. Yeah, and again, I think another thing for us too is is going to be the passing game when it comes to the offense. We're averaging about one hundred and eighty. I think if we get over two hundred passing to go with. 250 plus rushing, I think we win this game. Yeah. Um, and let's flip to it, Brian. Let's flip through the predictions. You know, it's going to be really funny regardless what happens Saturday. Justin Fuente is gone. And essentially the worst six-year run yep. of Virginia Tech football since we were basically this tall. Yep. 
Yeah. You might have been this tall. I was probably this tall. You were probably a little taller. <laughs> They've only beat us once. If yeah. they pull out the win Saturday, they beat us twice. They celebrate. But we get to laugh and say, we got rid of the problem. But for the life of me, Brian, I, I can't do it. I, I can't pick them. I don't no. think I'll ever be able to pick them. And I'm going to say it is going to be a war with them. I think the defense holds a few times. And I think in the end, with about 40 seconds left, Malachi Thomas punches one in from about eight yards out to take the lead 35-34. I think we're going to wear that defense down. We're late in the game. We're going to run at will, and we're going to be able to milk the clock with about six or seven minutes left. And when they can't stop it, they're going to know it's over. Yep. I'm with that. I'm really close to you. I'm actually 34-31 Hokies. Um, I think this is one where they take the lead. We get a late drive. We, we stick it in for a touchdown late to retake the lead. They're not able to do it, do anything with the time left. Yeah. And, and, and I think the team's up. I think just listening to the players talk, I think the team is up for this week. I think J.C. Price is going to have them up. Yeah. And um, it, it's going to be a war. It's going to be a war. I don't know what the stadium's going to look like. That's going to be the interesting piece. It's three forty-five. I got asked by someone, "Was I was I going up Saturday?" Fourth side. <laughs> was I going up Saturday? Like I'm not. If you are, no. go for it. Dominate it up there. All right, Brian. We got to pick some games here before we close out tonight. Last week, Brian, are we counting? The UVA game. I need to know. Let's count it. Let's count it. I I, I said that uh, Armstrong was going to play, and he did, so I can't really say that we should not count it. All right. You went five and six. I went seven and four because I am counting the uh, Marshall-UNCC game, which we both got right. Yeah. Um, Brian, 52-59 and one for the – or excuse me, 59-52 and one for the year. I'm 64-44 and one for the year. And we're going to do – it's a lot of rivalry games this week. We're going to do 11 games. And let's start, Brian, UNC, NC State, Saturday – excuse me, Friday. NC State lands six points. What do you think on this game? Excuse me. I'm sorry. I've got the honor, don't I? Go for it. Apologies, big guy. Um, You're good. I'm going to take NC State. I think NC State's just a better overall team. Uh, I think it's going to be a competitive game. I think NC State wins by 10. They probably win somewhere like 34-24, 38-28. But I think if we see Carolina when you have a decent defense, things don't go great for them. Yeah, I'm with that. Um, I think it's going to be NC State as well. I think it's going to be a touchdown. It's it's going to be a – one of those tight covers there, but I think NC State takes care of it. I still don't know what to think about this UNC team. It's one of the most baffling teams I've seen just because of their talent, their offensive ability, but their inability to do it well against good defenses and do it do it do it consistently enough where you know if they're they're facing a team that has a decent offense that they can overcome that because their defense is pretty bad. All right. In Friday, seven o'clock for that game. 
Let's go to the next one, Brian. BC versus Wake. Wake playing for everything. Wake wins. They are in the ACC championship game. They lose. It's a bunch of other stuff. It's either NC State or Clemson. Yep. Wake is a five-point road favorite up at BC. What do you think on this one, Brian? Uh, I went with Wake last week, and they let me down. I'm going to go with Wake again, though. I think they close it out. I think they uh, end up taking care of business this week a lot better than they did last week, and I think they get about a 10-point victory here. Yep. Um, I'm with you on that, Um, especially after BC last week. They let me down against FSU. They made FSU look super relevant again. Um, So I don't think, you know, I think five is like that perfect number. I think it's about a touchdown game, probably like 28-21, maybe a little higher. Um, But Jerkovich, I think Jerkovich is kind of becoming a story. He's definitely he's definitely got to come back next year. It sucks for him because I think if he plays a full year and has a good season, I think that guy's in the NFL next year. But uh, in this case, I'm going to definitely take uh, Wake on this one. Oh, this one's going to be fun right here, Brian. Clean old-fashioned hate in Atlanta where it will probably be more red and black um, than gold and blue as Georgia Tech takes on Georgia. This line, first of all, the over-under is 54. Okay? Okay. The line is Georgia Lane 35. So someone is predicting that Georgia Tech is going to get 10 points. Yeah. I don't see that happen. (laughs) Um, No. This is one of those legal limit, as much as you've got, put your mortgage on it. Georgia is going to win by 50. Yeah, this shouldn't be close at all. Um, I'll go all the way. Yeah, 35 is just not enough. Georgia Tech, they played like shit last week against Notre Dame. I mean, absolute shit. Yeah. You've got a team that's coming in here prepping to get ready. They're going to get roughhoused. All right, Brian, let's go down to the swamp. A fire Dan Mullen. Florida is still a two-and-a-half-point favorite versus FSU. Does the firing spell the tribes up because – or, you know, get the Gators going? This is for bowl eligibility. Winner goes to a bowl. Loser does not. Yeah, man. Um I like FSU here. Uh, call me crazy. They are playing some good ball right now. Um, I, they're not great, but they're good enough, and I think that's what's going to kind of get them over the edge here. Uh, their front is going to eat that uh, Florida offensive lineup, I think, and that's going to be the difference. It absolutely is. I'm with you. We're, we're green on everything. Brian's not being able to play catch-up, but, you know, it's better to be right than to just be a uh, – just to be contrarian, right? I can catch I, up in bowl season. <laughs> yeah. When we pick them all. You got championship week, too. You can just go opposite every game on championship week and every game in the bowl. And there we see go. What happens. Um, so, I'm with you, FSU. I think the the, the firing of Mullen, I think that's – at the, time, the timing it is, and they're going through a complete rebuild. A lot of the guys that on that – you know, coaching staff aren't going to be coming back. So if Florida State's getting points, give me that. All right. Duke, Miami. Um, this game is going to be at Duke. 
that's going to be, it's going to be a great visual sight there. <laughs> I, I, 21's not enough. I don't know. I mean, I know Miami's not great defensively, but an over under of 67 or excuse me, 68. You're telling me Duke's going to get to the mid 20s on them? No. Yeah. No. Miami wins the game 49 14. 21's way, 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 way too little to lay. Yeah, I'm 100% with that. I think this is going to be probably a four score game. Um, so I'll, I'm going to go Miami here as well. Um, Duke is bad. Duke bad, bad. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This is going to be an interesting, Brian. The fighting chain beamers who got bowl eligible last week. The South Carolina Gamecocks come off Clemson with obviously their best game of the year. I'm going to make sure this line hasn't changed because this is a big line. Clemson is laying 11 and a half. The game is at South Carolina. The over-under is 43. Who are you taking here? Man, this is a tough one because Shane's got them – competitive um clemson's finally playing some good football um last couple weeks at at least as good as they've been this whole season since georgia yeah Uh, um since georgia yeah so i'm gonna go with uh uh i'm gonna go with gamecocks all right brian's going with the cox um with Clemson playing good, especially as good as that defense is, I am going to go Clemson. I think Clemson probably wins by 14. Um, Clemson's offense gotten a little bit of a pocket last week. Against what's usually a solid weight defense, we've seen holes at times. Yeah. Um, South Carolina just, you know, the one thing they don't do good is they give up close to, you know, over 170 rushing yards a game. I think that's going to be their struggles. Um, they also are a team that is not good on third downs. So I think Clemson wins because the South Carolina defense isn't as good as it needs to be. Okay. I do think that over-under is about right. I think it's like a 28-14 game, but I'm going to go Clemson on this one. All right. Battle for the Bluegrass State. UK versus Louisville. Louisville's laying three. I have no clue how Louisville's land three. We've seen Kentucky compete with with Georgia. They've only got three losses. Louisville has been such an up and down team. I am going to go Kentucky in this game. Yeah, uh, I'm right there with you. Um, I think Louisville has been potent offensively, but I think Kentucky, between the uh, what they do with the um, with their defense is going to make, make that Louisville offense struggle. So. All right. This is one of those classic ACC rivalry games. Next Brian Pitt versus Syracuse in the dome pit land 13 Syracuse fighting for bowl eligibility pits locked up the coastal going to the ACC championship game pit. Can I say this? Yep. And has been there seven years. This is his first chance at a 10-win season ever there. That's wild. Um, is that what you want to be as a program? Do you want to be Pitt? No. Good, good to know. <clears throat> so, 
Are you laying? Are you taking? Um, I'll take Pitt. I'll take Pitt. I think Pitt gets it done. Um, just hard, it's hard to tell with Syracuse what team's going to show up. Yeah. And if they can't get going uh, with Sean Tucker, if he doesn't have a, a day in which he is uh, satisfied with his performance, then it could be a struggle bus for them. It's very true. And, and I'm going to take Pitt as well. And it's not so much that they've got everything locked up and they, they're obviously the better team. <clears throat> but this is kind of what I want to think about. If you're Pitt, you legitimately have a chance to win the ACC. Robbie, thank you. <laughs> they literally have a chance to, you know, win the ACC. This team has not won a conference title in over 15 years. Excuse me, in over 10 years. When they won the Big East, as the Big East was slowly dissolving. It's been over 10 years. So I think Narduzzi is going to say, keep the hammer down. We need to go into whoever we're playing next week with a good mentality. Good momentum. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't need to, we don't need to crap the bed against Syracuse and, you know, go lose. So I'm going to take that as well. All right, Brian, let's jump out of conference here and let's start with the Thursday night game. One of the most heated rivalries in any state, the egg bowl. Mississippi State versus Ole Miss. Mississippi State is a two-point favorite in this game. Um, essentially, they are saying these teams are even, and the cowbell, we need more cowbell, is going yep. to be the difference. That's what it sounds like, but I'm going with the uh, the, the fighting lane Kiffins here. I am too, because I think Ole Miss is a better overall team on both sides of the ball. Now, I will say this, the over-under 64, I think that's going to go way, way, way over. Because yeah. it's the last game of the season. All Both teams are bowl eligible. They're playing for the egg. I think both these coaches are going to pull out all the stops. Give me the over, but give me Ole Miss to win this game. Give me the extra two points. All right. All right. Next rivalry game this is a pretty big one, too. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State in Stillwater with the paddles. It is Bedlam. Okie State is in the championship game regardless. Oklahoma must win to get there to play Oklahoma State again. If Oklahoma State wins, they play Baylor. Okie State's seven in the most recent college football playoff. They beat Oklahoma and beat Baylor again, and just one or two things happens in front of them, they sneak in. I think Oklahoma State is the better overall team. They're definitely the better defense. So I'm going to stick on this. I'm going to go Okie State. I'm going to lay the four points um, just because they're, they're fighting for everything where Oklahoma, so much has to happen. They have to win-win and have to jump multiple teams. And I don't think they can jump Notre Dame. I think Okie State can. Yeah, I, I, I think I'll put I'll put uh, Okie State in there as well. Um, Oklahoma's just been so up and down, and I think when they play good defenses, they tend to struggle. So I think that's what's going to be the difference. Yeah, we saw that against Baylor. Very good, solid defense. They struggled all game long. 
All right, Brian. So the biggest game this weekend is a de facto elimination game in the playoff. It's two versus five. It is the big game. Michigan, Ohio State in the big house, 12 noon kick. I wish it was later. I really do. I know Fox is pushing the big noon stuff, but that game deserves to be a 3.30 to me, honestly. And I know it's never been played at night. That game deserves to be an 8 o'clock. Yeah, yeah. It really does. Um, Ohio State, after the throttling of Michigan State, is only laying eight points. What do you think on this one, Brian? Um, I'm going to take Michigan here. I think this is going to be this is going to be tight coming down to the wire. Um, I'm not sure if Michigan's going to win outright, but I think this is going to come down to one possession. Um, I think that Michigan team is going to do enough to slow down um, the uh, the squad there from from Ohio State. Um, those the triplets won't be able to just completely go off like they have all season. So give me Michigan right. here. Sorry if you saw me do this and look a little sad. It was a wide-open jumper rimmed in and rimmed out. Hokies down five right now. I'm going to take Ohio State. I am going to think this is going to be a more competitive game than it has been the last few years with Michigan. Their offense looks like I think they can keep up with Ohio State. Um, Defense kind of becoming a modern defense, not as much man, little zone here and there. But I think in, in the end, Ohio State's offense is clicking. And I think they win the game somewhere like 40, somewhere like 42 30, where it's a fight to the end, but it's just a little bit more like they put one late and put it away. So I hope yeah. to take Ohio State. I'll say this I, that's the one game I'm hoping I'm wrong about. Um, I still love Jim Harbaugh from my Niners, from my Niners. So, uh, yeah. So there goes that, guys. We did disagree on a few games. Um, Anything breaking, Brian? Anybody entered the portal? The game is a five-point game. It's got a bullshit call on uh, on somebody. I, I, I missed who it was. Oh, let's see who it is here. Keeve. Oh, you're way ahead of me. Well, five-point game. The Hokies are in. Definitely in this game. Um, can can we just say with this game and just the way the ACC's looked? Back down to three. Um, the way this game has looked and as athletic and as many talented players as Memphis has, the Hokies being right there, I think this spells really good things for the ACC schedule. Yeah. Yeah, and especially considering um, the length that Memphis plays with. Um, we're not going to see very many teams like this on the schedule. Um, so I think that's one thing to look at. And they haven't really crushed us in the the dribble drive game either. So that's got you know really two things to kind of hang your hat on because um, really that would that, that should be the two things that we struggle with along with uh, with rebounding and rebounding hasn't been great, but overall they've hung in there in the other categories. Very true. And uh, I know they were talking about Duran only has two points. Nolly only has two points. So you know, very interesting to see that. So, folks, go enjoy the rest of the game. We thank you for joining us tonight. That's going to wrap up an episode. this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, boundarycornerbt.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, do 
not forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, subscribe on YouTube or your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Music. We always let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out, catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We always thank you for listening. Beat UVA. Yep. Let's go. Hokies.